Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fist Stripes podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fist Stripes. We cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. The simplest way for you to support what we do at Fist Stripes is by keeping up with all the content that we put out, by subscribing and following wherever we are across many social media platforms such as Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, find Fist Stripes over there, slightly different content at every single location, and to get really the fullest social media experience with Fist Stripes, consider being a super follower on Twitter, a new $2.99 per month subscription offer that gives you unlimited access to our Marlins gift database. It allows you to be directly involved in our prediction time feature on Fist Stripes Live prior to every Marlins series more bonuses that we're adding as the year goes on and it's continuing through the offseason as well. We want to make it very much worth your while to show how much we appreciate those that directly allow our staff to be compensated for the coverage that they provide of your Marlins team for full coverage for everything we do on the analysis side, historical retrospectives, exclusive reporting and interviews. Uh, news roundups of the Marlins at the major and minor league levels, all that and more on our website, fishstripes.com. Go to fishstripes.com. Happy Sandy Day for everybody. Usually I record these official show Monday editions uh, the night before on Sunday so that you get it first thing Monday morning. 
And this one, I had to put it on a bit of a delay. I'm sorry for that. I think it's the best decision for everybody because the vibes surrounding this team on Sunday were absolutely toxic for very deserving reasons. In two weeks since the MLB trade deadline, we are living in a worst-case scenario for the team. This is absolutely as bad as things could have gone, where they're finally forced to call up quite a few prospects and give them everyday playing time or something very close to it, and those guys are not really taking advantage of it as much as you would like. In the meantime, the veterans themselves are performing even worse than the young guys. Uh, individual players that you're most hopeful for heading into next year, they're either depressing their trade value, and in some cases, the injuries are continuing. The injury bug continues to bite this team as well, where players that you're really hoping will stay healthy next year um, are now under greater questions about that. And the biggest point of frustration is, of course, the offense, the lack of run production for this Marlins team, which in some senses is building towards a historical embarrassment with how consistently they are putting up poor performances at the plate and failing to generate runs regardless of who they're playing against. As usual, we'll start it off small pod style by going through this past weekend's games. They crammed four games into a three-day period at Lone Depot Park against the Braves, and spoiler alert, they lost all four of those games. Most of this episode, as I said, it's Sandy Day. I want to focus on Sandy. I think this is one of the bigger storylines of this team the rest of the year, and although most of you realize how exceptional Sandy has been, and we've been saying it for the lion's share of the season, that he has established himself as the best, most valuable pitcher in baseball, and certainly in the National League, we are reaching the point of the year where it's becoming, in my mind, almost inevitable that he is going to win the National League Cy Young Award. I want to unpack what that means if he gets it done gets it done, the path for him to get there, some of the obstacles he could face, I guess the other players that are in the mix for that prestigious honor with 47-ish team games left to go, a little over a month and a half remaining. This is something that's very much on my mind, and I don't think people are properly getting amped up for what it would mean to this organization to have their best pitcher being recognized in that way by season's end. So as much as there might be a demand out there for people to vent about this team getting embarrassed uh, as much as they have all year offensively and how they continue to slide farther in the standings than even the worst the worst case scenario had feared for them, this is not the time. There are still 47 team games left in this season. There's a lot of time for your evaluations of these players to change and of the team's trajectory to change itself. Uh, this is not the time to talk about off-season stuff, how to fix it, because we don't know exactly what it is that is going to need to be fixed until this entire season plays out. We'll just have to wait and see. On the other side of this break, we'll do the small pod of the weekend, hand out Fish Prospect of the Week honors, before moving on towards Sandy and everything that makes him so exceptional. Stick with us. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. 
Friday's series opener between the Braves and the Marlins. Some good news at the outset of the series for the Marlins, finally getting John Birdie and Brian Anderson back from the injured list, starting the game at second base and right field respectively. That looks like that'll be their primary positions moving forward down the stretch for the Marlins, although we know both those guys have quite a bit of versatility. And this was their best offensive game of the series by a long shot. Like the numbers, any way you slice it, were excellent. They put a million runners on base. They got a lot of hits. They drew a lot of walks. And statistically, the team did a good job in this particular game, with the exception of actually putting runners across home plate. Went one for 14 with runners in scoring position in this game against Jake Odorizzi and several Braves relievers. They're fighting all the way to the end, but ultimately the difference in this game, a game-winning two-run homer by Michael Harris II against Eliezer Hernandez. I think that's a good summation of where the Marlins are in terms of their interest in winning these games. The fact that Eliezer Hernandez was pitching in a tie game in the later innings in a high-leverage situation, and uh, kind of unsurprisingly, he did not get the job done here just the start of what was an exceptional series individually for the rookie center fielder Michael Harris II as the Braves win 4-3 on Friday, spoiling Birdie and Anderson's return from the IL. Saturday, a doubleheader, the, as far as I can tell, the only 18-inning doubleheader that has ever been played by the Marlins at Lone Depot Park in 11 seasons of baseball in this building. Uh, Luzardo, Jesus Luzardo starting the first game of that series. He had been extraordinary in his couple starts since returning from injury into this rotation. And he started off this game looking very sharp as well. Nearly perfect through the first three innings. Then in the middle, that's when things got dicey for him. He ultimately only makes it through five innings in this game, allowing seven hits and two walks and four earned runs. It was a hit parade in those middle innings against Luzardo that um, put the Marlins behind in game one, and they stayed behind. I think Jesus Aguilar, for the second straight day, hit a home run, capturing the team lead with 15 home runs. Man, we are nearly three-quarters of the way through this season, and the Marlins' team leader has only 15 homers. But credit to Aggie. You know, he continues to hit relatively well as the season comes down the stretch compared to the majority of this year, where he's been a negative at the plate. And the Marlins was the first game 5-2 to two, to the Braves in the last half of the doubleheader. The Major League debut of right-hander A.J. Ludwig. Somebody that I wouldn't blame you for overlooking, even those that follow the farm system pretty intently. Ludwig, a 29-year-old right-hander who, throughout his minor league career, has shown pretty exceptional control. Uh, doesn't walk anybody. Yet, in terms of the talents that actually translate to major league success those are severely lacking he wasn't by any stretch of the imagination the most qualified player to come up and start this game he happened to be available and the marlins just needed those endings pretty desperately with a tired bullpen and with the fact that this was a game they have a five-man rotation and this game kind of popped up on their schedule without any extra days of rest in order to adjust for it so Ludwig comes up. He doesn't actually start the game. The start went to Tommy Nance in his return from the injured list. And Nance sets a career high for pitches thrown, including the very first one he threw, a no-doubter Ronald Acuna home run that 
was he knew it off the bat and he celebrated off the bat as if he had done something pretty significant despite the meaninglessness of this regular season game. Acuna puts the Braves ahead early on. They stay ahead, tack on a couple more runs against Ledwig. A spoiler alert, both Nance and Ladwig have since been removed from the roster, Nance being optioned, Ludwig being designated for assignment. And in a, another unfortunate thing, late in this game, uh, Anthony Bender getting some work out of the pen. He, he's he been yet another guy that's one he's been healthy recently. There have been some very positive signs that he has made adjustments since his struggles early in the year. And pretty tragically, you could see it after recording a strikeout, feeling discomfort in his right elbow, diagnosed with a right elbow strain and placed on the injured list, putting his rest of his season in jeopardy, to be honest. And we're still awaiting full details about the severity of that injury to Bender. Uh, on the bright side, um, even though the Marlins lose the second game of the doubleheader 6-2, Charles LeBlanc does just enough in both games to extend his on-base streak he has played 13 major league games, and Charles LeBlanc has reached base in all 13. Just a pretty dream start to his major league career relative to expectations. He's that one rookie who is irrefutably living up to, um, is, is doing his job, I should say, and actually contributing to the team. Charles LeBlanc figures to be the uh, primary Marlins third baseman down the stretch. Despite the returns of some of these other guys due to injury, it's going to be very hard to keep him off the field on a day-to-day -day basis. And yet, somehow, on Sunday, in the series finale, trying to avoid a four-game sweep at home, Don Mattingly does keep Charles LeBlanc off the field. He did not play in that series finale in what was arguably the very worst offensive game that the Marlins had in the series. They got some good defense in this one with Braxton Garrett on the mound on a day where Garrett wasn't missing many bats. He pitched six scoreless innings with the help of a Brian Anderson outfield assist. Just made an excellent throw to home plate to nab a runner and preserve what was a scoreless tie at the time. Uh, Miguel Rojas drove in what was the Marlins' only run of this game, scoring J.J. Blade. More rookies called up for this game, although they didn't enter the game. Relievers Andrew Nardi and Parker Bug from AAA Jacksonville. Look forward to seeing them pitching some games down the stretch, particularly Nardi. He's the one that should stick around for the remainder of the year at for sure. And the Marlins hang on, cling to a 1-0 lead, entering the ninth inning until Tanner Scott very first pitch, man, like sometimes there's a lot of suspense as to whether or not he'll get the job done, but this was a very rare exception where immediately he blows the save. Very first pitch, just like a couple days ago, Michael Harris II, that rookie playing just at an unbelievable level as a 21-year-old in the major leagues. He got a fastball right down the middle. You could not have placed it on a tee in a more hittable spot, but it was at 99 miles an hour. Scott was just trying to get ahead in the count, and Harris made him pay. First pitch swing driven by Harris, left center field deep. He ambushed him and ties the game. 111 off the bat, just under 420 feet left center. We talked all week about his opposite field power, the approach. Love this right here. From there, maybe you would hope that Scott could 
take a deep breath and shake it off and get the job done and at least preserve what was an even game and he didn't do it he lit the game on fire a couple walks in this one more hits like he he just blew the game up um he allowed six base runners in that ninth inning for some reason was allowed to finish that ninth inning even when it was very clear that he hasn't had it and this was in many ways very typical of the Don Mattingly Marlins era experience where he just does not like pulling the plugs on any of his high leverage relievers regardless of whether or not they quote have it or not so Scott faces eight batters that said allowed six base runners on both hits and walks it's his fifth blown save of the year Kenley Jansen closes it out in the bottom of the ninth and I barely acknowledged it but not only did the Marlins lose this series four games at home although the Braves are an awesome team they did not use any of their awesome starting pitchers the starting pitchers for the Braves in this four game series a couple of whom you guys probably didn't realize were on the Braves Jake Odorizzi, Ian Anderson, Kyle Muller, and Bryce Elder. None of those guys having effective 2022 seasons in the majors. Muller and Elder have barely pitched in the majors this season, and yet they combine to put up amazing results against the Marlins, particularly the, the final three games of the series. On Saturday and Sunday, Marlins as a team hit 160 with a 496 OPS as a team, collectively for three games. Unsurprisingly, all three of them losses. And afterwards, um, Don Manningly kind of non-committal about Tanner Scott sticking as the closers roll the rest of the year. <sighs> There's really no good answers at that spot, especially now that Bender has gone out due to injury. We go to the minor league side just to finish off this small pod uh, segment. Fish prospects of the week. On the pitching side, right-hander Lester Neen with the DSL Marlins. He had a 10-strikeout game, which is awfully hard to do at the lowest rookie levels because you rarely are allowed to pitch more than four or five innings. His ERA with that performance for the year lowers to 1.51. He's been absolutely amazing in his first professional year in the DSL. I'm ecstatic to see what he looks like in the States. Uh, beginning next year, maybe beginning as soon as this fall in Instructs in Jupiter. Although this guy is as far as you could be from an actual prospect, on the hitting side, it has to be Williams Astadio. His bat went ballistic this past week as the primary designated hitter for the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. Four home runs, and he hit 522 for this entire week against the Durham Bulls. By the time you're listening to this, he'll probably be recognized as the International League Player of the Week. You could not be better with the bat over the course of a full week than Astadio was against Durham. An honorable mention to Jose Devers. If you want to cheat and look a little bit beyond the past week, he's hit two home runs in his last eight days with Pensacola after hitting zero home runs over the previous five years of minor league baseball. Devers snuck his way back onto my Marlins top 30 prospects list with his improvement as of late with AA Pensacola. And also an honorable mention to Zach McCambly with Pensacola. He's been up and down, more down than up this year, struggling with his control especially. And there are, in between rough spots, there are gems like the one he threw this past week. 10 strikeouts in his performance for Pensacola, working deep into the game. He has great potential, 
uh, he's still like even more so than Devers. I, I think he's comfortably one of the top 30 prospects in this organization. So let's hope that he has a strong finish to the rest of the year and uh, really solidifies himself as a potential, if not rotation piece. He could be a guy that contributes on at the major league level in the not too distant future. The Cy Young Award, introduced by Major League Baseball in 1956, bearing the name of the all-time wins leader in Major League Baseball, Cy Young, and ever since, what, 1967, it's been given out one to each league, the American and the National League. As you know, the Marlins have been around since 1993. They have never had a Cy Young Award winner, despite having this very nice lineage of homegrown star starting pitchers haven't had an individual season where those players have been recognized with the really the highest honor that a pitcher can usually receive in rare cases pitchers get mvp consideration for the most part uh, the way that thinking has evolved is that pitchers at the very best of their powers when they make the biggest impact they can make during the course of a single season, they get recognized with the Cy Young. There have been some close calls. You could look at Kevin Brown in 1996. He fell short of Greg Maddox for the award that year, finishing runner-up in his first Marlins season. That was at a time uh, early in the Marlins' existence at this stage of award voting patterns. These are determined by the Baseball Writers Association of America. Back in the mid-'90s, I would say that wins, individual pitcher wins, was still certainly the biggest factor in determining whether or not somebody was deserving. In that year, with the Marlins middling in the middle of the pack, uh, Kevin Brown only won 17 games despite leading the league with a 189 earned run average and also leading the league in allowing as few base runners as anybody. He was exceptional that year. He didn't have the wins, and Craig Maddox did for an awesome Braves team. That made a difference. As the years went on, we go into the 2000s. That is when earned run average became certainly on par with wins, if not even more significant as you get late into the 2000s and approach 2010. That's when I think ERA and just run prevention in general became the biggest factor that voters had in mind when making decisions. And over the last decade plus, that's when the thinking has really evolved. Uh, Strikeouts have become a pretty notable part of the equation just dominance guys being able to take over games kind of single-handedly without the support of their defense obviously without factoring in run support that they get from their offense pitchers being able to control the game as much as possible within their own hands those guys have been greatly appreciated so in terms of run prevention in terms of swing and miss in terms of keeping the ball in the ballpark and i'd say workload is still throughout this process has been a very significant factor Guys that are just available to pitch all throughout the year who are consistently effective start after start after start. Every voter at this point probably has a slightly different mindset as to what matters. And what we've seen, especially recently, is that team performance is no longer really entering the mind when you're choosing Cy Young. That has even kind of gone further to the back of people's minds when discussing MVP. Certainly with Cy Young, that is kind of irrelevant at this point. We're where I think voters do a good job just voting on what the individual has done during that particular season in awarding them correctly. You look at recent years, there have been some contentious 
conversations. I think just looking at last year in the National League, that was a fascinating one with Zach Wheeler and Corbin Burns, where Corbin Burns on an inning per inning basis was as effective as anybody in the sport, where Zach Wheeler had a lot of tonnage behind him. The volume of his work was pretty impressive. At the end, voters very slightly went in the favor of Corbin Burns that year. And both those guys kind of in the periphery of the discussion this year, as I said up top, and as you guys are already aware, tuning into this, Sandy is uh, is in command of the conversation. I don't think there's been a Marlin this deep into the year who has had this much of a stranglehold on the Cy Young Award conversation. He is driving the bus. He's in the driver's seat, I should say. He is, if he is anything like what he's been the first four plus months of the year over the remaining six, seven weeks, he's going to win. He's going to win. There's nobody going to surpass him at this stage of the season. I mentioned there was a Kevin Brown case in 1996. Even more notable is Dontrell Willis in 2005, losing out to Chris Carpenter. Because in that year, uh, I think he just got caught at a very awkward time in the voting history, where that year he did lead the National League in wins in 2005. But that was a time when I think some other factors finally began going to the forefront of people's minds in determining who is most deserving. Uh, Chris Carpenter that year pitched a little bit more innings. He had more strikeouts. They both had the same number of complete games. It w- That was a very close contest. And it's, uh, I think a lot of people felt that Dontrell was just a little bit better, depending on how much you cared about what he did with the bat back in the days when obviously hitters, bat, uh, pitchers hit for themselves. That was an interesting conversation that Chris Carpenter beat him out with 19 first place votes and Willis got 11. Jose Fernandez, if he had still been around in, let's say, 2017, he was he put together, when he was healthy early in his career, put out outstanding numbers. He finished third in Cy Young voting as a rookie, just didn't quite have the innings to be a serious threat in that conversation, and he finished seventh in his final season of 2016. So, who knows what that would have looked like. Josh Johnson, uh, kind of in between periods here, what Josh Johnson would have looked like if he had been a little bit more durable as well. This is something special, what Sandy is doing this year. This is the biggest threat that the Marlins have had to this award. Why do I feel that it's so worth discussing? Uh, well, speaking of the obvious, with the team 15 games under 500 and things going wrong in a myriad of ways, according to plan, going not according to plan for the Marlins this year. It's nice to have a distraction. Only five years ago, of course, the Marlins and Giancarlo Stanton were honored as most valuable player in the National League for his 2017 season, finishing with 59 home runs for that team and running away with the award. And as special as that run was, and uh, as much as people got into it down the stretch of that year, seeing if he would catch 60 and everything that came with it, the entire process was completely overshadowed by the, the sale of the team from Loria to Sherman and the seemingly inevitability that they were going to trade Stanton uh, through no fault of his own, simply because of the contract that he had signed a few years before. Even though voting takes place after the end of the regular season, they only announce it 
deep into November. And by that point, uh, it was completely kind of enshrouded in <laughs> the trade rumors and the possibility that he would be one of the rare cases of a player at the peak of his powers, winning an award like that, and being sent away by his team, despite them having him under a long-term deal. And that ultimately was the case. So even though the Marlins have had an individual award winner like this, um, perhaps one that was even splashier than what Sandy is attempting to do this year, it's going to be so much more meaningful to have somebody do it and actually stay with the team next year. Somebody that obviously the public comments have made it clear that Sandy is staying around for the near future. And even the insider reporting, going back to this trade deadline, the rumor was that Marlins would listen on anybody except for Sandy. They are committed to him for obvious reasons. He's under a long-term contract that couldn't be more different than Stanton's. I mean, while Stanton's paid him his complete market value, uh, Sandy is a bargain. He's one of the great bargains in all of baseball for the next half decade for a type of player who is totally unique in today's game. The reason why he has separated himself from all the other competition this year is the combination of run prevention and effectiveness in those innings. He leads all National League qualifiers in earned run average, and he leads all National League pitchers by a considerable margin in innings pitch entering Monday's game when that lead is going to expand even more. What more could you want? He's pitching more than anybody, and when he's on the mound, he is as effective as anybody else is. That's why catch-all stats like wins above replacement have him as the most valuable pitcher in the National League. Going with baseball references version, he's a win and a half ahead of Aaron Nola. And there's only a handful of guys that have even half as much wins above replacement during the 2022 season as Sandy does. He's at 6.3 as of this recording. Let me see where he is on fan graphs. I think it's something similar that he's at this year through 166 innings. He's at four and a half on uh, fan graphs by that measure as well. He's been doing this through most of his career, overachieving what the ERA estimators would suggest. The, the quality of contact that he allows is so harmless, and his, he is such an intelligent pitcher out there for all the slander that people have given to Jacob Stallings. Stallings has brought out the best of him this year. He has reached a point where Sandy is comfortable throwing any of his four pitches in any count, any situation. The unpredictability is leading towards all these awkward swings. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
statistically, it's hard to believe that a pitcher can only allow about one home run every 20 innings the way that he is doing this year. And I don't think it's fluky. It, he is so hard to barrel up because you don't know what pitch is coming. And even when you think you know where, what it, where it's coming and where it's coming, it moves a little bit differently than you suspect. He is at the peak of his powers. I don't think anybody is going to catch him. I mentioned a couple names already from last year's Scion conversation who will probably need a miracle to, to catch Sandy from behind, like Zach Wheeler, who... Uh, as of Sunday, I feel like that was kind of a knockout blow to his campaign. He allowed six earned runs to the Mets after having a similarly bad performance against the Marlins back in April, and I think that's going to do it because with Sandy, the difference between him last year to this year is last year he had a couple of those atrocious outings. You'll remember them. Both of them were on the road against West teams, I think on the road against the Rockies and on the road against the Dodgers where he allowed something like, between those two starts, 16 or 17 earned runs and didn't get deep into those games, that puts a huge dent in your season performance overall. This year, it's been just outstanding consistency. Every single game, he gives you, it seems like every single game, he gives you seven innings. In reality, every game, he at least gives you five innings. He... And even if the strikeouts aren't always there, it's about keeping the ball in the ballpark. And for the most part, it's about challenging hitters and not giving out walks and hit by pitches. Other challengers, potentially, I mean, Tony Gonsolin, since the very beginning, he's been consistently awesome. It's just that he does not work deep into games. You know, the Chaz, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Just a massive gap in workload between him and Gonsolin, about 40 innings difference this point in the year. With Sandy still allowing fewer runs. So even if Gonsolin is keeping runners off base, you just cannot account for that big discrepancy in workload. It's a similar story for his teammate, Julio Urias. He's been phenomenal. He's just not pitching nearly as much. Tiny injuries to Max Freed, for example. Max Freed was having his best year of his career, but he's out with a concussion and it's unclear exactly when he's going to get back. There's really no urgency to bring him back for a Braves team that is on the verge of a playoff berth and is focusing on repeating as champions. Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer, a more significant injury with his oblique, missing more than a month of the year. Since coming back from that, he is trending up. And the only reason why he's not the ERA leader at the moment is because he just hasn't had the innings to qualify due to the time missed. Perhaps by the end of the year, he does just enough to qualify. There's still just going to be a massive gap in workload between him and Sandy. Between everybody and Sandy, there's going to be that big discrepancy that I don't see how people are going to overcome it. And I don't see Sandy significantly slowing down. I don't see him going into a really big slump. I guess Aaron Nola is the final challenger to mention. He's the one that, in baseball reference war, he's the runner-up to Sandy at this point of the year in innings pitched. He's the runner-up to Sandy, 13 and a third behind Sandy entering Monday's game. I wonder if he might split some votes with Wheeler, depending on how they finish the year. But probably mo most people at this point will recognize Nola as having the um, the bigger impact in 2022. But he's not even in the same stratosphere in terms of run prevention at this point in the year. He's over three at this stage of the season, whereas Sandy, as I said, at 
And so how's he going to make up that ground at this stage? I, I don't think he will. I don't think he will. Looking ahead to the upcoming schedule, there's a possibility that the Marlins eventually give Sandy some rest, go to a six-man rotation. I, I'm going to believe that when I see it. I think he's going to pitch every fifth game for the Marlins until he has the award locked up, pretty much, or until it becomes obvious that they need to get another starter in the mix. Um, for the time being, I think that's a fair projection to, to do. They do have quite a few off days coming down the stretch, so it wouldn't necessarily be unreasonable to just have him pitching on his usual schedule for the remainder of the year. That includes tonight against the Padres at home. Then going ahead, every five games moving forward, he'll be on the road against the Dodgers. He'll be at home against the Dodgers after that. Then he will be on the road against the Braves and on the road against the Phillies. Then after that, I have him at home against Texas and then on the road against the Nationals, at home against the Nationals. By that point, he will surely have blown past his 2021 numbers in terms of workload. At the very end there, uh, perhaps they pump the brakes, but that's the general outlook as to the competition that he's facing. It's relatively tough. He, he does get fortunate with the Nationals coming in a couple times there. Um, those are the soft landing spots in what is otherwise a difficult schedule that the Marlins have throughout the second half of August and early September. This is going to be a big deal if he does close the deal like this. And for people... Naturally, one storyline is about the fan apathy that the Marlins are are leading to here in Miami. You know, the fact that this season is really by no measure better than last year. This has been a failed season in a number of ways. Really, one of the only differences you could point to is Sandy taking a step up from being a very good top of the rotation starter to being the ideal top of the rotation starter. And that's basically it. That's the difference in a couple, maybe two wins, three wins that they've gotten to this point in the year that they didn't have last year. It's all Sandy. So people are frustrated. That being said, there is a considerable amount of sway and influence that an ace pitcher like this can have on the vibe and on the spending of a fan base. If he is the Cy Young Award winner into next year, he's always going to be the Cy Young Award winner. You know, you win it once, and that is part of your bio. That's kind of in the first paragraph of your career retrospective the rest of the way. That is part of the marketing for him the rest of the way as well. That distinction, there are going to be casual fans in Miami that perhaps at this point especially aren't following what he's doing, but in 2023 and beyond, if he has that award on his resume, that's going to make a difference in the way that people support this team, in the way that the community supports this team, in the the revenue that the Marlins make that you would hope that they use on baseball expenses and building up a better team around Sandy than the one that he has at the current moment. So that matters. It matters with the, with the marketing of the team, with the merchandise of Sandy and all that, to have that honor on him, the one that, as I said, no other Marlins pitcher has had before, not Jose Fernandez, not Dontrell Willis, not Kevin Brown, not Josh Johnson, none of them, none of them have reached that peak of recognition uh, of being the undisputed most valuable pitcher 
in their league over the course of a single season. It's a big deal, and I think it is something that he has pretty directly mentioned is, is a goal of his. It still matters to him. It's something that he's still going to be pushing for, that he's going to be motivated to get. It's going to be another reason to tune in to every one of his starts the rest of the way as he, he realizes how close he is to grabbing this. If you care about the odds makers have to say, I think DraftKings has him as a minus 300 favorite. The implied odds there are, what, about 75% that he's going to win this award. If he doesn't get injured, fingers crossed, knock on wood, he's never had an arm injury in his professional pitching career. Don't start now, please. If he doesn't start now, I don't see how anybody is going to catch him. They're not going to catch him in terms of workload, and there's really only a couple guys that could even catch him in terms of run prevention coming down the stretch, regardless of the competition that he's facing. It also puts the rest of his teammates under the microscope. Not really for the offense they provide. There's precedent for guys winning this award, even if they don't have a ton of wins in recent years. That's how the evolution, that's how the thinking has evolved. That's not really going to come into play. But it puts more pressure on his team to continue playing good defense behind him. You know, they have played, for the most part, good defense uh, behind him. He doesn't overachieve entirely based on the quality of contact that he's getting. Some of it is, um, is just getting help, getting legitimate help from the fielders behind him. It's a big deal that Brian Anderson is back from injury, that they still have Joey Wendell around, that Miguel Rojas is still around. You don't think about Miguel Rojas very much. He's been not doing much at the plate. He's still a great defensive player, and he's still going to be part of this. The Marlins as a team are still part of this with their defense, and I guess this is one of the sneaky factors here is the bullpen in exactly what they do. So at this point, it's about as thin as it ever has been with the injury to Anthony Bender, with the trade of Bass and Pop, with these rookies called up that you don't know what to expect from. Uh, I don't know what you're getting from this bullpen. And a story this entire year, um, a consistent theme of this year, has been the Marlins putting really unconditional trust in Sandy to finish what he started, whether that means the entire game or just pitch himself out of rallies late in the game. As we get to this late stage of the year, uh, and you look at his workload, and you realize that as important as the Cy Young is, it's also important to make sure that he's protected for future years. Like you could see a slightly shorter leash on how deep he pitches into these games in order to preserve him, and that means more reliance on the bullpen. Occasionally, perhaps situations where they inherit base runners of Sandy's runners that are his responsibility. Runners that if they score, people are not going to distinguish between whether Sandy was in the mound or whether a reliever was in the mound. There have been, let me count it out, one, two, three, four, five. There have been only five times all year in 23 starts entering Monday where Sandy's been removed in the middle of the inning. And we'll see how often that happens uh, down the stretch. For the most part, they've just done it on some of his worst days of the season when it was clear that he didn't have it at that late stage of the game those few situations down the stretch are going to make the difference whether the relievers get those jobs done whether the defense makes the plays they need to make not even about preserving wins but just about preserving as many runs as you can this combination that sandy has had of the length that he provides in his starts and the way that he prevents runs is unchallengeable it has put him 
if he keeps this going, he is out of reach of everybody else. So what is going to change potentially that could upend him? I think it's more likely to be if the run prevention kind of creeps up to what the ERA estimators say it is. If he falls pretty far out of the league lead in ERA or adjusted ERA, that could be crippling to his chances. So it's up to everybody else to help preserve that. I hope I hope a good amount of you guys are checking out Sandy's Beach here on Monday. There'll be a handful of those games down the stretch. A shameless plug that we have a t-shirt with Breaking Tea that I'll put in the episode page on fishdrives.com for a Sandy's Beach t-shirt that if you don't have that version already, consider getting it and supporting us and supporting Sandy by picking it out. I'm going to be locked in to every Sandy start the rest of the way. I'll be honest, on Sunday, yesterday, the final game of the Braves series, I did not watch until like the eighth inning. I just wanted to see the way that it ended. But besides that, I was focused on other things. I was focused on, frankly, more important things than watching what happens um, with on a typical Marlins day. There's other stuff to pay attention to besides the Marlins in most situations with the exception of Sandy Day. That is when you should still care. You should still tune in because you're going to have a good time. Watching the way that Sandy pitches is special. I don't know if he's going to have another year quite like this. It's difficult to put it together. It's even more difficult to repeat it. You should savor every time that he is on the mound down the stretch for the Marlins. I've been Eli Sussman here on the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast. Rate and review the pod wherever applicable. Subscribe to Fish Stripes wherever you get your pod for the official show for Fish Stripes Unfiltered for Big Fish Small Pod, for some of the special series that we do, such as What a Relief. All that is here on the Fish Stripes podcast channel. Thanks, as always, for the support. Go Sandy and go Fish. <laughs>